Rachel and Alex, thank you. Appreciate it very much. And welcome up uh, to Carissa. Thank you. And uh, we've heard you a few times up here. Are you feeling at home at Rancho yet? Oh, this feels like home Great. automatically. <laughs> all you, all of you are amazing, that. friendly. Yes, absolutely. We try. But yeah. uh, welcome. You're adding so much already Thank in your you. preaching, your teaching, your leading. We're going to hear more from you as we go. Um, happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. What is your favorite part about America? Okay, my favorite. I hate favorite questions because how do you pick a favorite? But I'm going to humor you. Uh, food. I love to eat, and we have access to the most incredible food from the most incredible cultures, and we don't even have to leave the valley, and so I love that. What about you? Uh, Let's see. I'm going to go a little more philosophical. America is this idea, right, that we can actually live free from the tyranny of government, and sometimes our freedom looks a little funky, but we are free people, Mm -hmm. and uh, I just love that very much, and and, uh, so just happy 4th of July to you and your family. Hope you're doing something fun this week. Yeah, right. fireworks. Of course, why not? <laughs> I love that all this stuff is back, too. That's pretty fun. Yes. All right, we are spending the summer talking about what Jesus reimagined. Mm-hmm. So one of the great things about the life and ministry of Jesus is here he comes on the scene 2,000 years ago to a culture very well established, this religious culture very well established, mm-hmm. and he turns the whole thing upside down. Yeah. And he reimagines the world as it could be and should be, and today we're talking about Jesus reimagining love. Now, it might seem that love is a pretty simple concept, and it doesn't need to be reimagined, but it definitely did. Here we have the religious leaders who pretty much ruled the people with religious law, and they had a very narrow definition of love, and they saw Jesus was loving everybody and bringing big crowds, yet they were a culture of religious law, so they tried to trick Jesus. An expert in religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, why was this a trick, Carissa? Because there were over 600 yes. laws in the Old Testament, and Jesus, being a, a good Jewish rabbi that he was, he had memorized every single one of them. And this wasn't the only time that the religious leaders had tried to trick Jesus. You know, the other one that comes to mind is when they brought the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. That was a very specific moment that they were looking to use as an opportunity. But every time, Jesus would answer in a way that kept his alignment with the truth of who God the Father is, and yet also kept him out of trouble for the time being. And so what what happens for me is that kind of blows my mind. Jesus was incredibly smart. And sometimes we don't think of him that way. We think of him as loving. We think of him as a healer. But he was incredibly smart. So he had that kind of genius off-the-cuff wit about him that knew what was coming because these religious leaders are trying to have Jesus choose between the law or love Mm -hmm. because they seem to be sort of opposed to each other, right? So this woman that was brought to Jesus, she was guilty of committing a crime that Mm -hmm. the Bible says requires her death. Yep. Yet Jesus was bringing love and grace and he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. So he didn't deny the law, but he he basically put love over it all and her life was spared. Literally, he saved her life that day Mm -hmm. by showing that we're sort of all guilty and none of us should sit in judgment. So Jesus has this genius, you know, wit about him that knows what's happening. You're trying to get me to choose between law and love, and Jesus always chooses love. Mm -hmm. In fact, he essentially pulls from the law, Mm -hmm. the teaching of love, and says that's all we need to worry about. Here's what he did. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That comes from the Old Testament law. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important, which is kind of interesting here because in the Old Testament, 
loving others is not equally important to loving God. Right. Now Jesus elevates love for each other with loving God. Mm-hmm. He says this, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, all 613 laws are based on love, yeah. loving God and loving others. So describe sort of how that went over and what it feels like to really be only concerned with love and not all this religious law. Well, I mean, doesn't it, it feels too good to be true, you know? I mean, when I try to wrap my mind around that God is love and love is what matters and, and I mean, it just, it blows my mind. And just when I feel like maybe I am grasping it, I wake up the next day and I, I feel like I'm starting over again. And you know, when I was 15, I began my relationship with Jesus. Up until that point, I had no concept of God loving me. I had no concept in my life of even unconditional love from the people that supposedly you're supposed to receive love from. And so the very first theological battle that I began to fight that first year of following Jesus was, can you lose your salvation? Yeah, that was a big one back Do you remember that? I mean, once saved, always saved. And you had people on both ends of the spectrum. You had people who thought you could never lose your salvation. And you had people that thought, you know, of course you can. And I found one verse in the New Testament that I memorized. (laughs) It was the only verse. I had memorized, but, you know, I look back at the 15-year-old version of myself, and it felt safe to me that I was in with God, and the people who had harmed me and hurt me, the people that I still in that moment needed protection from, that they were out with God. And the reason for that is they were harming me and hurting me, but they had a relationship with Jesus too, and they read their Bible too. And so I needed to feel safe. And so I was in with God and they were out with God. And that felt good to me then. You know, it wasn't a conscious awareness at the time, but now looking back, I can see where that motivation was coming from. And then you fast forward a decade and I had experienced some unconditional love from important people in my life, my husband, my mother-in-law, my church family, and then I had kids. And when you have those kids and you look into their eyes, you realize there is nothing that kid could ever do to make you stop loving them. That no matter how far they run, no matter how badly they mess up, you are going to continue to pursue them and love them to the best of your ability. And that began to just kind of expand my thinking. And then here I am another decade later, having understood more and more the cycles of trauma and the cycles of abuse and the cycles of addiction and really that hurt people hurt people. And then what what happens there is you begin to discover, wait, I don't want to be in if there's people who are on the outside. I don't want to get in if there's others who can't. And that's where this idea of just unconditional love comes from. But to be honest with you, some days I feel like I'm grasping it. And then the next day I wake up and I think, was that a dream? (laughs) You know? Um, And so that's a little bit of what it's looked like for me. But Scott, for you, What was it like to trust that idea of love is the only law? Because I think that requires so much trust from us. What was that like for you? Well, it does. And it's a difficult concept when you've gone through trauma the way you have. It's difficult if you've been raised in sort of this religious paradigm that most people are. Uh, Every religion on earth, really, that I can think of and that I've studied has a paradigm that this is what God wants. Mm -hmm. If you give God what he wants, he will give you what you want. That's essentially the deal of religion, right? We're trying to find out what God wants, give him what he wants, and then he'll give us what we want. He'll answer our prayers. He'll make our life go well. So that's the religious paradigm. Most of us were raised in that. And and then you sort of get to this 
position, at least for me, where you realize that's not what Jesus was imagining here. Mm -hmm. Jesus was actually freeing us from that religious paradigm. And so I just struggled and struggled and struggled thinking that this tradition that I was raised in by, as I said last week, well-intended, loving people that just wanted me to know the right things and do the right things. The motivation had a lot of fear and a lot of threats. One of the threats was you can lose your salvation. You know, you hear that debate and you're thinking, wow, if I don't give God what he wants by believing the right things and doing the right things, he might actually kick me out of, of heaven yeah. into eternal torment. Which is tough because what are the yeah. right things to believe? Right. There are over 30,000 different Christian denominations who all believe different things. And right. so am I in or are they in or are we both out? Well, I do this thing all, all the time, and I'm particularly with uh, pastors in, in kind of mid-sized uh, uh, gatherings. I'll say, write down what you think is necessary to believe. Mm. I've never had two lists look the no. same from pastors. <laughs> so, you know, we have to be humble about a yeah. lot of things, right? And, and, and when you get to a point of humility, and this was the key for me, get in the point of humility that says, you know, maybe I don't have the right list. Mm. And maybe, you know, I can't or shouldn't judge other people and, and sit as, as their condemner when I'm seeing from Jesus this reimagining of love, that he just loves me with everything I believe that's correct and everything that I believe is not correct, with yeah. everything that I do with my life that is right and everything that I do with my life that is wrong. It's a point of humility that says, you know what, that religious paradigm mm -hmm. isn't true. What is true, what is capital T true, is the love of Jesus Christ. And it took me years to deconstruct that sort of religious paradigm mm -hmm. and to replace it with a, a love paradigm. And, um, and I know for you, somebody who's been through, you know, a lot, um, things that I have not been through, practicing love and forgiveness that you've received from God towards others had to be difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I still am choosing to do every day. You know, the passage of Scripture where Jesus encourages us, you know, how many times are you supposed to forgive? This is another big question Jesus got. And he said 70 times seven. You know, that's not necessarily allowing someone to hurt you that many times. Healthy boundaries are important and necessary. It's that sometimes people have hurt us and wounded us so deeply that we have to choose to forgive over and over and over again. And that was the first part of some of the, the internal work that God did in me was just to release people from retribution, to release them from punishment. And then kind of the next phase is going, wait a second, God loves them too. God delights in them too, not in the things that they have done, but in who they are created in Christ, the part of them that is hidden with Christ in Jesus. And can I accept that? Not on my own strength. That's a daily, multiple times a day, God help me learn, God help me learn. And the more connected I become to my own woundedness, to my own brokenness, to my own mistakes, to my own pride and attitudes, the more I realize that I need the gift of unconditional love, the gift of forgiveness. But we resist this. Yeah. Scott, why do we resist this idea of unconditional love? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with um, not, under, uh, not understanding that love is really a daily decision. Mm -hmm. Love is not a feeling. That's one of the things that I think is the biggest misconception about love, that love is a feeling of attraction or a feeling of affection. The love that Jesus shows us, which is the true unconditional love of God, is not driven by feelings. It is a, a decision that says, I'm going to override what I feel with truly 
being loved by God. So I feel guilty before God. Mm -hmm. I feel as though I, I've done some things that are, that are bringing shame upon me. It takes faith to mm -hmm. believe that he loves me despite that. Yeah. It takes faith to push through the feelings of guilt and shame and to know his love for us, then over time, the feelings kind of follow. Same thing with how we treat each other. If I just treated people how, according to how I felt about them, um, that's, a, that's a rough way, way to go. But if, if we know God loves us despite ourselves, we can then bend that out to love other people despite what we feel, which includes even to the point of uh, get, getting, to, getting to the point of perhaps extending love to people who have hurt you. Mm -hmm. Not in any way, you know, embracing what they've done, but always holding that grief and holding that woundedness, but to just think, in faith, I'm going to choose to love them. Not based on emotion, but based on this decision. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's really what the love of Jesus is. Uh, the cross was not something that he cherished. It was the joy of bringing us to God that he cherished. And so he pushed through the cross. He did something very selfless and sacrificial to bring us to God. And I think that's our uh, model for us today. So, Carissa, thank you. Yeah, it's been my a pleasure. great pleasure. Yep, thanks for uh, coming and sharing your life with us. We appreciate that. Let's take a little bit of a journey through uh, biblical history and talk about where this idea of love comes from. Where does love come from? How is love defined? And then how can we live that out? So let's go all the way back to 1400 BC, give or take. And this is where God first speaks to the Jewish people. God first speaks to the Jewish people through Moses. Now, if you've been to Sunday school, you know the story that the Jewish people, these 12 Semitic tribes were in slavery in Egypt. Uh, God releases them from slavery, and now they've crossed the Red Sea. They are in the wilderness, and they are wandering around. So just imagine 12 ancient tribes wandering around the desert. They have no uh, formed leadership. They have no governmental system. They have no rules and regulations, no law and order. They are just out there. They have no food. They have no water. That means they're doomed. They are doomed. So God gives them the provision of food and water. God also gives them a law. This is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. Uh, and the Old Testament is a ready-made law for this nation that has none. If they receive that law and live as people who are under law and order, they will live as civilized people, they will survive. If they don't, they won't. They'll kill each other. They'll be killed by outside forces. So God gives them the law. Now, when he gives them the law, he takes them through the wilderness to the point where they're about to occupy the land that God gave them. And here's the reminder right before they enter that land. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. So God says, here's the book of, of law and order, the 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible. You have them. They've brought you through the wilderness. Now, if you obey them in the land I promised, you will prosper. Now, here's the heart of the law, Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. God is essentially telling them for the very first time, I love you. I love you. The ancient mind, ancient religion would have this distant fear of God because God isn't seen. God clearly is invisible. God doesn't just show up. We can't speak to God with our human voices. We just, we imagine God. And, and, and the God we relate to is whatever is in our mind about God. And so the Jewish people had their, their imagination of God. The Jewish people had the law that God gave them. 
But for the first time, God says, you know what? This whole relationship is a relationship of love. I am your God. Love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, the Hebrew word love is ahav. It's kind of like I have, but it's an ahav. Uh, that's the word love in Hebrew. It's very similar to the way we use the word love in English. We use the word love and it means all kinds of stuff, right? I can love God. I can love my wife. I can love a ham sandwich, right? I love. That word love talks about all kinds of stuff. Same thing with the Hebrew word ahav. It's I ahav God. I ahav my, my spouse. I ahav loaded tater tots. It all, it's the same word, right? Same word. And so this idea of love, that God loves us, is first shown in the first five books of the Bible that this law I give you is out of love, and so love me in return. But here's what we should note about God loving the Hebrew people. God says, I love you. They thought God loves only me, right? They misunderstood God's love. They thought, you are our God, you must love just us. So that's how they lived their life. That's how they carried themselves. Our God loves only us. God loves his people and we love our God. So love wasn't this wide. Love was very narrow. And then later in the law, the first five books of the Bible, in Leviticus 19.18, there's this command about loving one another, that love shouldn't just be about God. It should be towards one another. And here's what it says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. See that? Against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So not only was God about loving them, but they were about loving them. And that's it. Love your fellow Israelites. So when they talked about loving their neighbor, that's no problem. I'll love my neighbor all day, every day. It's the one of the exact same race, probably of the exact same tribe, the exact same life circumstance. Oh, I'll love that person all day long. No problem. I got this Bible thing nailed. I got this ahav love thing, nailed. God loves us, we love us, super simple. So that became so rote in the Hebrew culture that they actually developed a saying. The saying was, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That was a very common saying among the Hebrew people. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And they thought they were obeying God because God loves us and we love us. That's what we think it says. So Jesus came to reimagine that whole deal. He came to turn that whole paradigm entirely upside down. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus didn't say the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but you have heard that it says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And they're standing around going, yeah, yeah, we heard that. We hear that a lot, right? Love your neighbor, the fellow Israelite, hate your enemy, everybody else, no problem. But Jesus goes on. You've heard the law says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Stunning. Now we might think, that sounds impossible. Love my enemy, pray for those who persecute you. I mean, if your story is maybe similar to Carissa's and there's been real woundedness and abuse in your life, you hear something like this and you're thinking, no way. The Hebrew people, heard this and thought, no way. They knew who their enemies were. They totally knew. It was the Romans. The Roman Empire. This was the, the devil to them. 
The Roman Empire who invaded their land, the Roman Empire who murdered their people by the thousands, the Roman Empire who crucified anyone who even whispered of insurrection, the enemies who stole from them, the enemies who kept them in poverty and powerless. Jesus says, love them. Incredible. Like, seriously? Love our enemies, pray for our enemies? So today, we have nothing like the Roman Empire coming our direction, right? We are free people. This is the 4th of July. We've got no enemies the way they had 2,000 years ago during the time of Christ. Yet, we treat each other like enemies so often. I mean, the rhetoric today, unbelievable. Worst in my lifetime, and I'm super old. Worst in my lifetime. You don't agree with me, you're a fascist. You don't agree with me, you're a Marxist. You don't agree with me, you're a false teacher. You don't agree with me, you're a racist. I mean, that's everywhere, all day, every day, news media, social media. We are treating each other like enemies. It's wild, it is tragic. And so I think this message, this very simple message, that there is one value in the kingdom of heaven, one and that value is love, that's it. If we focused on love, not just God loving us and us loving us, but God loving everyone everywhere and we loving everyone everywhere, how remarkable would that be? How needed is that right now? Jesus says, I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, if we love everyone, including our enemies, in that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If we want to act as a true child of God, in other words, we want to just live out the life of Christ. We say we follow Jesus. We want to live out the life of Christ. Love. Love everyone, everywhere. Love those who disagree with you. Love someone, God help us, of a different political party, if that's even possible. Love people, get this, miracle upon miracles, who have a different opinion than us. Can we actually love people? Can we actually believe they're not evil? You know, that they're not fascist, Marxist, false teachers, or racists. Can we believe that we we're human beings and we're all just trying our best, right? We're trying our best. We're trying our best to whatever, raise a family. We're trying our best to follow Jesus. We're trying our best to build a great country. We're just trying our best. And as we're all trying our best, we have different opinions. Okay. Does that mean I have to hate you? Does that mean I have to throw names at you? This is next level stuff. This is, some people say, oh, love is just lightweight. I've heard this a lot. All this talk about love and grace is just lightweight. Oh, yeah? Try loving your enemy. Try loving those who persecute you and tell me how lightweight that is. Tell me how lightweight it is to walk this very difficult journey of forgiving someone who has hurt you. Is that lightweight? Try, try loving someone who doesn't see things the way you do. That comes from a totally different background. Try really building deep, lasting friendship with somebody who is completely different than you in every way. Is that lightweight? I think it's the deepest thing imaginable. And then Jesus talks about how God loves. Now, get this. This is how God the Father loves. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Jesus says, you want to know how God the Father loves? Follow the rays of the sun. That's how wide God's love is. He sends sunshine to everyone, not just the us, not just the quote right, not just the quote good. 
He sends sunshine to everyone. He sends rain to water the crops to everyone. You want to know how wide God loves? Follow the rays of the sun. That's God's love. That's how God loves us. And, and so, so why should our love be so narrow? Jesus goes on to say, even corrupt tax collectors, these are the, the most evil people of the time. These are Jewish people working for the Romans to steal money from Jews to pay for the Roman occupation of the Jews, right? So they're just absolute traitors. Even corrupt tax collectors love each other. It's no big deal. You love people that are just like you, no big deal. God doesn't care about that. If you're kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus is reimagining love. It's not narrow. God loves us, we love us. It's God loves everyone, so let's love everyone. Jesus reimagined love, not as a deep, loyal commitment to benefit people just like us, but a deep, loyal commitment to benefit people most unlike us. That's difficult. That's deep. But that's the core of the gospel. When we say gospel, gospel simply means good news, right? It means good news, the good news that God loves even me, right? That's, the, that's where it starts, right? That God loves even me. With all of my failures and faults, with all my flaws, where everything I've got wrong and everything I've done wrong, that God loves even me. The guilt that I carry for things that I've done that I shouldn't or things I don't do that I know I should, God loves even me. And to rest in that and take great pleasure in that, that's this word joy. God loves even me. And then to think, but that doesn't mean God loves even them. Right? It's bending that out to others. That is so ingrained in the gospel, it appears time and time again. Romans 13, 9. The commandments in Romans 13, list them all. The commandments are summed up in one command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. All we have to worry about is love. We do not have to navigate 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus lived those all out. He fulfilled that. We're free from it all. We're totally free from it. We're free from the law. And so Galatians 5.13 says this, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And so we might think, okay, well, if I'm free, can I do everything, anything I want to? The answer is probably you could, but you shouldn't. <laughs> if we're free from religious law, free to be loved by God, does that love compel us to do hurtful things to ourselves and others? No. Love compels us to love. That's the nature of love. Love is contagious. There are religious people out there who say all this talk about love and grace means everybody's going to freak out and completely abuse themselves and abuse others because they're free. That's not how it works. How it actually works is if you pour love in somebody's life and grace in somebody's life, you are elevating them in the pleasure of their life and the pleasure of love, and they are raised up to maturity and they will love other people around them. That's the way it works. You can't abuse somebody into good behavior. Abuse follows abuse. Hurt follows hurt. Carissa said that. Love follows love. And so if we can raise up the next generation in an environment of love in their home, an environment of love in their church, you're going to raise up people who know how to love other people. That's the whole paradigm that Jesus was bringing. That's how he was reimagining our relationship with God. 
Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But listen, I know it's happening right now. There are people watching this. There are people literally watching this sermon right now, waiting for, waiting for a flaw, waiting, waiting to get. You know why? Because all this talk about love and grace drives some people absolutely bat guano crazy. They are out of their minds. All you do, some of you laughed, all you do is talk about love and grace, and that's so easy. It's so thin, right? What about? There's that what about. What about God's wrath? What about God's judgment? What about God's righteousness and holiness? He's got to get back at sin. I, I brought this thing right here. I think this is called a roller pin. Did I get that right? Okay. I stole it from my wife. Uh, she saw it last service and she says, if you don't bring that home, I'm quoting her. I will kill you. <laughs> is there a police officer in here? I might need... I don't think she was serious, but we're going to find out. I'm not going to test her. She, uh, she said, bring this home. So I have to do this. I'm going to put this right in my pocket. Um, this is a rolling pin. Now, in the cartoons, this is what you use to, to clonk people. So I'm going to use it to clonk people. Um, there's this thought that, you know, I'm loved over here, but then I'm a sinner over here, right? So I'm loved over here, but, you know, if I sin, if I fail, if I do something wrong... God's going to get me. The whole old paradigm is God wants me to be religious. God wants me to be right. And if I'm religious and if I'm right and if I'm faithful and if I'm obedient, if I give God what he wants, he's going to give me what I want. That's the whole religious paradigm, every religion, including Christianity. But if you don't, he's not going to answer your prayer. If you don't, he's going to mess up your life. If you don't, this is a big one, eternal torment, really. So on one hand, we talk about love, love, love. On the other hand, it's just judgment and like wrath, incredible vengeance, even violence. It's like love and violence, love and violence. That's the religious paradigm. Jesus came to reimagine that and leave only love. It's like it, it can't be, as Chris has said earlier, is that too good to be true? Probably. That's why we have to have faith that it is true. Because it doesn't make sense. What makes sense is I've done something wrong, I get it. You do something wrong, you get it. That's what makes sense. Jesus reimagined love. Now get this. First John 4, 18. Love has no fear. That's a remarkable statement. Love has no fear. In other words, what Jesus taught, and the apostle John here picks up, is that there is no roller pin that's threatening you. There's only love. There's only love. You can't have love and fear in the same place. If I truly thought I'd go home without that rolling pin and my wife would murder me, I don't think we have a very loving relationship. And you can write that in your notes. It's one or the other. It's either love or fear. But religion tries to navigate both in this weird, I mean weird way, every religion on earth. Jesus says, you know what? There's just love. Imagine a world where there's just love. Love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. What religion does is like half love, imperfect love. You're loved as long as you behave. If not, I mean, 
What if there's only perfect love? Fear would be totally expelled. You would never fear God. You would never think, God, you're going to get me. God, you're not going to answer this prayer. God, what if I die? Am I going to lose my salvation? All this stuff, this ridiculous stuff that we're raised in that haunts our heads, even in our adulthood. What if we simply believe Jesus? There's only love and that there's no fear in perfect love. If we are afraid, it's because we're afraid of being punished, right? This shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. I want you, all of you here, all of you online, to understand you are loved perfectly, even with your failures, even with your sin, even with the things you've done wrong, even the guilt and shame that you carry, even knowing what you will do that isn't right, our beliefs that aren't right, all of it, God loves you and he fully embraces you. Just know a full embrace exactly as you are. Just imagine being, this might be cheesy, but just full hugged by God the Father. I mean, I'm not talking about the A-frame Christian hug. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the COVID. I'm talking about a full armed embrace from God. And, and I know what we will think. We'll think I'm not worthy of a full embrace from God. And God says, I know, come here, I know. And you might be tense, I don't deserve this. And God is just gonna keep bringing you closer until you relax. Just imagine God is just holding you and holding you and holding you just as you are until you relax and then maybe try to hug him back. I mean, imagine that where we're not tense and uptight. And God's demanding and demanding and demanding we be right and demanding we be good and demanding and then judging and condemning. Just imagine we go from the stiff, judgmental, religious paradigm to a just fully embraced by God. And then we can kind of hug him back and love it. Just love being loved just as we are. And if we can get past that, then we're going to start going after some other people. Like, come here, come here, yeah, come here. <laughs> All of you, come here. That is life. That is life, and this world needs that more than anything. I'm gonna wrap up with the prayer of Jesus, last three sentences of the prayer of Jesus. Then we're gonna sing a really cool song together. This is the final prayer of Jesus right before the cross. The final prayer of Jesus right before the cross Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I'll continue to do so. Get this, last sentence of the prayer of Jesus right before he's crucified. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. The prayer of Jesus, one thing, love. I pray they will know how much you love them because they see the love that I have for them. And when they see the love I have for them, they will love each other. And when they love each other, the world's gonna know the love of God because they see that in us. Do you know who's gonna answer that prayer of Jesus? Who's gonna answer the prayer of Jesus that we will love each other so thoroughly that the world will know the love of God? Who answers that prayer? Let me tell you, real clear. God's not gonna answer this prayer. God will not answer the prayer of Jesus because God's not gonna force us to love each other. God is not gonna, you can't force someone to love you. That's not love, right? We are gonna answer Jesus' prayer. 
We answer Jesus' prayer when we learn how to be loved by God as we are, and then we learn how to love other people. We are the ones Jesus is waiting for to have this prayer answered. And I'm telling you, the divisiveness that is out there right now, primarily from the Christian church, has got to retire. This love of God's anger, this love of judgment, the love of judging others, this divisiveness, calling each other names. It is grieving Jesus. And this prayer goes unanswered. The prayer of Jesus is answered when we learn how to be loved by God fully and then we love each other the same way. Let's pray. God, this message is very simple. And it does seem too good to be true. That you just love us as we are, where we are, with all of our failures, with everything that we believe that is wrong and everything we've done that is wrong. As a heavenly father, you look at us, you tell us you love us, you so desperately want us to just believe you, and you give us a full embrace from our heavenly father. God, we have been taught many of us since the time we were young, that we don't deserve that, that we're sinners, that we're separated from you, that we're failures, that we have to do more. But God, in this moment right now, I pray that you would allow us just to be embraced by you fully, to just relax in your arms. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you lead us forward to learn not only how to be loved, but learn how to love the world around us. It is a difficult and deep and profound and lifelong journey. God, we are up for that. We're also up to answer the prayer of Jesus. To answer the prayer of Jesus, to not only learn to be loved, but to love the world around us. Everyone, everywhere, to love so widely, uh, to love wherever the sun shines, everyone, everywhere, even if they disagree, even if they're different, even if um, they have come against us. God, to love above everything. We receive your love. We accept your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 